At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. What's up, y'all? Oh, that was awesome. That was good. It's good to be here with you. Uh, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. I also serve as the Westside Venue Director. It's great to worship with you uh, this morning. You know, two years ago, uh, on March 13th of 2020, our human interactions and our relationships and our communities were changed. Because on that day in our country, we declared a national emergency in response uh, to the COVID-19 virus. And 10 days after that declaration here in the great state of Michigan, uh, we had a shelter-in-place order. Now, I'm not bringing this up <laughs> for PTSD or anything like that. Um, it did last 70 days. And it was 70 days where our typical communities of church, of, of friends, of families, they shrunk down into those who just lived in our homes with us. And for some of us, that was a bunch of people, maybe a bunch of really little kids <laughs> that we lived with. Uh, but for some of us, that may have meant being alone. You know, as I've been thinking about the last couple of years, um, there's this old phrase that's come to mind uh, a lot, and it's that you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Um, because for me, uh, and since reflecting on that time, I noticed I had a very large lack of appreciation and value for some things uh, that I didn't have during those two years. And one of the things for me, most primary, was community. It was the practice of, of living and being present with other people. You know, for most of us uh, over the last couple of years, those communities weren't completely removed. They just changed from being three-dimensional to two-dimensional. Spaces we normally would have inhabited and gone to with people, they, we saw them through our computer screens and in virtual connections, right? Maybe the family dinner with grandma was replaced by a laptop of grandma at the table instead of her actually being there. You know, maybe that morning meeting at work of 10 people around the table was replaced by the new workplace attire of a dress shirt and sweatpants um, <laughs> and looking at a Zoom call, right? Maybe some of your kids had to watch their teacher through, um, through a laptop instead of being in the classroom with them. And, and don't get me wrong, in, in a lot of those ways, that was a blessing. It was a blessing to be able to have the technology to connect and to remain connected uh, during that. I, I've, I've thought frequently what it would have been like if we didn't have some of the tech that we have today. But as I spent time in those two years, or in that 70 days especially, connecting with people over Zoom, people I would normally see in person, like my family, my siblings, my friends, my life group, I was just reminded of the power of presence, of what it means to be in person, in community, living in relationship with one another. 
You know, we're in this series right now at RIV where we're talking through this new mission statement and some new core values that we have as a church. And our new mission statement we have here at RIV is that we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. That's our mission statement. And from that, we have some core values that really flow out of what that is. And today, we're looking at what it means to be in community and also in the community. And today, we're going to be looking all throughout the Bible as, as to how we see those core values really in the Scripture as well. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to flip that open. We're going to start in the very beginning. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to get into the book of Acts, book of 1 Thessalonians, and the book of Luke. So we're going to be all over the place today. Uh, but we're going to actually start in the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Because in the very beginning of the Bible, we actually see this need for community addressed by God himself. Now, the book of Genesis, it's really the beginning. It's how God created the world, how he created life, how he created humanity. And in the second chapter of Genesis, after God creates the first man, Adam, he places him in this garden and he gives them this job. He's like, work this garden, cultivate it, have dominion over this. But then we see something really interesting in Genesis 2, verse 18. And that's where we're going to start. It says this, just one verse. It says, the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, this is really interesting what God says here because up to this point, everything else that had been made, everything else about creation had been good. It had been positive. God created. He brought order. He gave Adam purpose. But this is the first thing we see in the world that is described as not being good. And what that thing is, is the isolation of a human being. It's an image bearer of God not being among other image bearers of God. You know, for many of us, we may hear Genesis 2.18 and we may think of weddings. You know, I've I've done a lot of weddings. I've shared this verse uh, at weddings. And really what happens is God officiates the first wedding between Adam and Eve, whom he creates in just a few verses later. But while marriage is impacted by this verse, I think that's too narrow of a view. Because I think verse 18 actually speaks to our universal human need for connection, for relationship, for community. And while marriage is one way that happens, it's not the only way. I think in the church, we can idolize marriage. (laughs) We can make marriage to be the end-all, be-all when it comes to human relationships, and that just isn't true. And we know this because in the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, and he he states explicitly, he talks to the married and the unmarried, and he's like, I just wish all of you were like I am. And he was single. (laughs) And, and, And he does say, hey, everyone's got their own gift. Some are married, some are single. Those are both great things. But Paul is saying singleness is a great thing because our need for community, it's not just in marriage. It's here. It's with other followers of Jesus. It's in a church community. And Genesis 2.18 makes it very clear, this truth that impacts every single one of us as image bearers of God, as human beings. It's not good to be alone. It's not. And if it's not good to be alone, then logic would tell us that it is good to not be alone, to be in community, to be in relationship with other people. You know, recent studies have been showing just how prevalent of a problem this is in our world today. You know, back in early February, we were doing a series through the Apostles' Creed, and Noel, one of our pastors, he was preaching about the communion of saints. And at the beginning of his message, he talked about how back in 2017, the U.S. Attorney General had declared loneliness as an epidemic. That was five years ago. And it was amidst that epidemic 
a pandemic hit, a pandemic that drove us inside to isolate, to shelter in place, to quarantine. COVID-19 did not slow that down, but it rocketed it upward. Just this week, New York City Health Commissioner Dave Chokshi said, the COVID-19 pandemic has left in its wake a loneliness epidemic. That comes from the health commissioner of the largest city in the United States, a city where more people are densely populated than anywhere else. We're lonely. And we see in the very beginning of the scriptures that we are created for community, to not be alone, to experience life alongside people in other relationships. You know, while that need for community is universal, Christians and non-Christians alike, how that's expressed with followers of Jesus is really powerful. And it's really unique. We actually see this in the book of Acts. If you've ever read through the book of Acts, it's this descriptive account of the church starting. It's 28 chapters of just so much stuff happening. It's so cool. And we actually see a really clear picture of the first Christian community. And it comes after uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, right before he ascended into heaven, after his life death, burial, resurrection, After he, right before he ascends, he tells the believers there to wait because they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and they're going to begin to preach the gospel message, who Jesus is to everybody. And what happened was people became Christians. They believed. They had this individual heart and life change, but that change actually brought them in to a new community, a new group of people. And we actually see this community described in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says this, They, meaning the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is really the first Christian community that we see after the gospel goes out. They devoted themselves to four things we see, and it's all in verse 42. They they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to food, and to prayer. These were the unique elements that, that characterized a Christian gathering. The apostles would teach, right? There would be spiritual growth. They, would, they were just, they wanted to know more about Jesus in this new faith that they had. There was fellowship. People spent time together. They laughed. They cried. They shared life. They, they broke bread. It was first century potlucks and crockpots coming together, right? Like this is what they did. They just shared all this food. And then there was prayer, They would thank God for who he was, what he had done in their life. They would pray for one another. This was what this community of Christians devoted themselves to. And that's all in verse 42. That's the what they would do. But those other five verses are the impact of those things. Verse 45 said they were filled with generosity toward one another. They met needs as they arose in the community. Verse 46, they ate their food joyfully. And with sincere hearts, they were filled with joy. They praised God. And I love the last line. Each day, the Lord added to their number. This community just kept growing. Other people were joining it as they became Christians. Now, as we see this community of people in Acts 2, it is really important for us to remember that this is a description 
of what was happening. This is a narrative account. This isn't a prescription, right? This isn't, we always have to do these four things every single time Christians get together. That's not what it's saying, but it is describing the work of God in this group of people. This unifying effect of the gospel, how this community was centered around that. And one really amazing thing, if you read the book of Acts, is that these communities were not insular. Their backs were not to the world. They were wide open. The non-Christian world around them had no idea what to do with these people. It was this new group of like, they're crazy. Tertullian is actually an early church father. He was a Roman and he was born and raised in Roman, in just secular Rome. Uh, he was born in AD 45, but he became a Christian when he was 40. So this is about 150 years or so after this first Christian community. And he wrote some things about what the Roman world thought about the Christians who lived there. And this is what he wrote. It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. Like, I love that. People would see the Christians and they're like, they just love, man. They're just, they're just all about love. Like, this is what they're about. It's the love of a deed so noble. And then Tertullian, the next line, he says he heard this Roman pagan say this very thing. See how they love one another. This was the mark of a Christian community. This is how people knew they were Christians with how they loved one another. And this isn't a coincidence. Jesus himself said this in John 13. He was with his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. The world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. This is Jesus' very words. And this is even crazier when you think about ancient Rome. Ancient Rome was a brutal society. It was a society filled with death, inequality, slavery, and depravity. And all of those things were woven into their society as the norm. It was everyday life. Those weren't things that Romans were like, yeah, we should probably change that. It was like, no, that's what makes us Roman. That's what makes us the best. But then in the midst of all of that, this new community was formed. And it was a community of people with completely opposite values. Life, equality, freedom, godliness. And it was Christians. Christian community was marked by mutual love and sacrifice for one another because that was the character of their Savior, of our Savior, who we worship. It's Jesus himself. In 1 Thessalonians, we see another description of what life and community looks like for believers. 1 Thessalonians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Thessalonica. And this is what he says. He says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So this is instruction that Paul was giving to the church in Thessalonica, but it's instruction for, for Christians everywhere in community. And I love that Paul starts here with the gospel. <laughs> It's this reminder that God did not appoint us to wrath. He wants us to obtain salvation. God desires all men and women to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
to believe in Jesus, to turn from their sin and to turn towards him. That is God's desire. And then it's right after this, we see a therefore. Therefore, because that is true, here is what we do. We encourage one another. We build each other up. Paul knew, I think, of some people in the community that needed some specific encouragement. And he, he lists those. He says, for those who were idle, that's another word for lazy, uh, warn them. Hey, bro, love you. You got to go to work. You got to get a job. I mean, come on, right? But for those who are discouraged, comfort them. For those who are weak, help them. And with everyone, be patient. You know, this passage has been so much more powerful for me, just living in the current culture that we do. We live in a very unique time in history where community can be experienced both in person but also online. You know, over the last 20-ish years or so, social media has changed the ways we interact with one another. And particularly in those online spaces, we can curate and we can filter our relationships. We can create this stream of influence from people we want to hear from, and then from those we don't, we just block them. We unfollow them. We cancel them. And here, like, don't get me wrong, and sometimes I think that can be helpful. <laughs> like, if you're only seeing constant negativity from someone on Twitter that you don't even know, don't let them talk to you, right? I mean, that makes sense. Uh, but when it comes to the church community, when it comes to local families of believers, we do not have that luxury. Because instead of pulling away from one another, we do the opposite. We move toward one another. Instead of canceling someone, we continue with them. Instead of blocking someone, we remain open to them. Instead of unfollowing someone, we actually move forward and we talk and reason with them because we are united in the same faith. We are under the blood of Jesus. He has saved both of us. Because of that mutual bond we have, we don't pull away, we move forward. We move toward one another. This is what people in families do. That also means that our lives are defined by a whole different list of one another's. Not the block one another's, but the come alongside one another. Comfort one another. Show patience with one another. Resolve your differences with one another. Bear with one another. You know, it's so interesting to me what Tertullian said just 2,000 years ago. A community like that, then it was attractive. People would look and think, how do they love one another that much? Our community of Christians can have that same impact today. That's my hope, is that people look at Christians and think, see how they love one another. Sadly, that is not always how people describe Christians or churches. Christian community is often marked by sin and brokenness and selfishness, right? But I think there can also be a posture that we kind of put on ourselves of, hey, we exist in here and the world exists out there. You know, oftentimes words that are associated with Christians from those outside of the Christian community aren't positive. That we can be insular instead of being open. That we can be clicky and unwelcoming instead of being accessible. That we pull away from people instead of moving toward them. 
The scriptures show us that instead of having that posture of retreat or superiority, we do the opposite. We engage with people. What that means is that while we live our lives in community with each other, we also live in the community. That's why our core value is in community and in the community. We do both together. You know, one really cool example we have of this, this is all over the scriptures of people doing this, but one really cool example we have is the Apostle Paul. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is traveling around, he's doing ministry, and he's with two friends, uh, Timothy and Silas. They weren't there yet, so Paul walks into the city and he's waiting for them. Uh, But we actually see Paul do something in one verse that we're just going to just pick apart. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says this. While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, his friends, in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Okay, one verse, description of what Paul did, but it is very rich. We're just going to pick it apart. The first two words I want to look at is he saw. When Paul walked into Athens, he looked around. He noticed the shops the buildings, the places people went to eat, to worship, to have fun, to watch sports. Paul didn't walk through the city like this. Nope, 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 don't wanna, nope, 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 nope. He looked up. He looked around. He studied. He's like, okay, what are these people all about? What do they love? What do they worship? Like, what do they give their money to, their lives to? And, and what did he see? Well, we don't know everything he saw, but we do know that he saw this. He saw that the city was full of idols. Now, what's an idol? Well, in that time, in that context, an idol was a representation of a god or used as an object for worship. So Paul looked around, he saw statues. He saw temples and other things that people worshiped. This was all over the city. But I do think there's a great possibility that Paul also just looked at what people were living like what they were talking about, how they lived, how they interacted with one another, how they treated people that were different than them. Because those are all postures of worship too. And as Paul walked into this city, we see he had this reaction. The verse tells us he was deeply distressed. To be deeply distressed is to be filled with sorrow, to suffer from anxiety or, or pain. Paul looked around and his heart broke for the people. He thought these, these things that people are worshiping, they think they're giving them life, that they're not. They think that they're fulfilling them completely, but they don't. And this verse is just one of many we have in the scripture of one Christian engaging in the community <laughs> rather than retreating from it. You know what Paul could have done? He could have walked into Athens and thought, oof, I don't think so. I'm going to just wait out here. <laughs> then I'll wait for Paul or Timothy and Silas, my buds out here. Then we'll go in together. But there's just too much here. Too much wickedness, too much depravity. I can't. I don't want to. That's not what he did. <laughs> he walked in, and you know what he did? He thought, I better start talking to people. And that's what he does in the very next verse. <laughs> he looks around, he sees, and then look at verse 17. So... He reasoned in the synagogue, which was the Jewish place of worship with the Jews, and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace with non-believers, every day with those who happened to be there. Paul looked around, understood 
where he was and thought, now it's time to talk to people. Now it's time to get to know them, hear their stories, reason with them. And that's what he did. He engaged. I would really encourage you to read the rest of Acts 17 uh, this week. It is so cool what Paul does. He eventually gets invited. They're like, all right, what's this babbler going to say? Like he, he's just talking to all these people. He gets up on this hill, the Areopagus in Athens, and he preaches a sermon. He shares the truth about God. And the Athenian people had a statue that said, to the unknown God. You know what Paul said? Hey, everyone, I know who that is. Here he is. Paul even shares some poets from their culture. He's like sharing song lyrics <laughs> in his sermon of like, you say this, this is what it actually is. He gets three different types of responses from people. First group, call them names. <laughs> they don't believe. They're like, come on. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Another group, they're kind of scratching their chin. They're like, can we hear you again? We want to know more about this. But then the third group of people said, this is the truth. We believe this. They became Christians. And they started traveling with Paul in his missionary journeys. It's so cool seeing this because this is all throughout the New Testament. This is the posture of Christians. They know the communities they're in, what they worship, what they give their lives to. And they know that because that is who they were. Then when you become a Christian, you're not removed from that community. You're just a believer in that place. Instead of retreating from those places, they engaged, they shared truth. You know, as I said a bit earlier, I think we can often feel this pull to do the opposite in our communities. We can just think, gosh, I don't, I don't want to talk to those people. <laughs> I don't want to engage. And in rare cases, you know, I do think it might be wise to not go certain places where it might be very blatantly sinful for you to go to <laughs> or really unwise. But I just think if we looked around if we were heads up instead of heads down in our communities, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, how much of an impact that would have for the gospel of Jesus. And you know what one of the best things we can actually do in the community? It's be in community. Gather together. Share meals. Have cookouts. Invite neighbors over. Have conversations over your back fence with your neighbors who you may not agree about anything with, right? Like help meet needs as they arise. Welcome people into this place of being known. Just know them yourself and be known. You know, a few weeks ago as we started this series, we talked about how these core values were aspirational in nature. These core values, they aren't necessarily who we are right now. They're who we want to be. My hope, as one of the pastors here at Riverview, is that we begin to pursue being in community while also existing and, and living in the communities God has us in. So let's think about ourselves. Think about yourself as an individual for a moment. Are you living in community? Do you know other believers? Are you known by other believers? You know, this is something that Danielle and I have really been trying to do and pursue in our lives, especially post-pandemic, because we know that we need it. We were reminded, oh, maybe we didn't pursue this as much as we should have. We are now. <laughs> to develop friendships with, with believers who know us deeply and that we know deeply. And if I'm being honest, there's times I don't want to. Let's be real, right? My own sin and selfishness can get in the way of this because you know what living in community means sometimes? 
cleaning the house, <laughs> finding childcare, like finding time in your calendar, your schedule and commitments. Like I sometimes feel like, gosh, it'd be so much easier just not to this week. But I often feel that way before. I never feel that way after. I never do. I'm always thankful. Because after we spend time in community with fellow believers, it just feels like this weight has been lifted. And I think that's because we are living in God's grace to us. We're living in this place that God has designed us for. It's good to be known. It's good to know other people. That's who we are. And when we do that, God's grace is just magnified in that. Do you have that in your life? If you're looking for that during this season here at Riverview, we'd, we'd love to help you plug in with a life group. Life groups are small gatherings from the, the, around the Riv community that people get together in homes and they talk about the sermon and they're small gatherings and they're great things. We'd love to help you plug in. And coming up this fall, uh, we're really excited to introduce some new pathways for experiencing community here at Riverview. We're gonna call these Riv Communities. You know, these groups are going to exist all over the greater Lansing area, in some in our venues, some in homes, some in public spaces where we can just gather together for food, for relationships, for growing together as followers of Jesus. You know, it's our hope that these Riv communities will provide us with a space that we can grow together in ways that we often can't in the 90 minutes we have here on a Sunday morning. Because these are going to be smaller gatherings of 20 to 30 people led by teams of leaders from RIV. And we're just so excited to see how we can be in community, in the communities that we live. You know, if this is something that is like exciting to you, if you're thinking, I, we would love to be a part of a RIV community like that, these are going to be happening come September. We're doing all the work right now of, of training and, and prepping people and all these things. Like, come this fall, jump into a RIV community. We'd love to plug you in. But if you're here this morning thinking, I want to help lead that. I want to be on a team of people that are getting people together in these RIV communities. I want to help take ownership of that. Please talk to me. I would love to talk to you about more of that desire that you have. Because we see that living with one another in community as believers, it's essential. It's a gift God gives to us. But as we do that, we need to remember our posture toward the communities we live in. Because God has put us in various places, cities, towns, neighborhoods, condo associations, dorm buildings. So let's think about ourselves again. Are you in the community? Do you know unbelievers? And do unbelievers know you? Our faith in Jesus, it's missional in nature. We're saved as individuals, but then we are saved into this beautiful family of God. And then we invite others to join that very family. You know, I think oftentimes church rhythms and church programs and ministries can actually deter us from being in the community. Because churches can schedule every night of the week for things for you to be at. Weekend services, Bible studies, life groups, prayer nights, worship nights. Don't get me wrong, all of those are fantastic things. But if we're here every day, we're not where we live we're not in the community. You know, one way I try to be in the community, this is my, with my unique wiring and my family and stuff, is I coach my son's soccer teams. They're four and they're seven years old. So pray for me. Um, it's a, it is always a test of my patience 
and often a test of my very will. Uh, but, but no, here's the thing. It's a blast. But it would be easier not to do that in some ways. But here's the thing. Every spring and fall, God just provides me with 10 to 12 families that I get to know. I get to know their kids. I get to know their parents. We hang out. We watch the little bumblebee soccer, right? The clump of kids just move around. Like, it's, it's hilarious. But here's the thing. That is a way I get to know new people. And it's awesome. It's such a cool thing. What could that be like for you? I mean, could it be coaching a, coaching a team, volunteering in your community? Maybe every once in a while in the school where your kids go. I mean, it can be even moving with intentionality in smaller ways. Like, you always go to the same coffee place. Get to know the names of the people who make your coffee. Remember details that they share with you. Be a generous tipper, <laughs> right? There's ways we can do this. We can be present in the community. You know, one of my favorite things about Jesus in his life was his posture. This is what he did. He lived in community and in the community. He had 12 disciples he spent time with. He had three he was very close with. He spent day after day with them, so much so that he called them his friends. But Jesus also lived in the community. He spent time in places and with people that many avoided, many would turn away from. And instead of retreating himself, he moved toward them. You know, one of my favorite verses that I've just been thinking about a lot over the last couple of years uh, has been Luke 7, 34. And this is something that Jesus said in response to how people in his community had viewed him, like the Christian equivalent (laughs) of people in his community, like these religious leaders, these people who claim to really know God and, and, and worship him. But this is what Jesus said. The son of man has come eating and drinking And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now that may seem like a harsh verse to have be like a favorite verse, but here's what I love about it. Jesus came eating and drinking. (laughs) That's what he did. That's how he reached people. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He ate with them. That was a mark of intimacy, especially in the first century. If you ate with people, that was saying something. And this was the God in the flesh, the savior of the world. He came to share himself with people. And he rescued us from our sins. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And it's through belief in that life of Jesus, his friend, being a friend to the friendless, his death on the cross for sin, his resurrection from the dead. We can have fullness of life in him. It's through faith. And that faith does not remain individual, but it's communal. We live life in community with one another, but we also do that in the communities in which we live. You know, I think one of the most powerful things we can do with one another and with people we're getting to know is sharing stories. What's your story? Who are you? In just a moment here, we're going to hear from Laura, uh, who attends our MSU venue. Uh, she's going to share her story of how her life has been impacted by community, by this truth of how Jesus moves toward us, how he meets us in our own desire to know others and be known. Because we see in Jesus the perfect embodiment of what it means to know others in community.
while also how to reach others in the community as well. So let's watch together. A lot of times it's us taking the initiative and you can't necessarily just sit around and wait for someone to be real with you and open up to you. Like sometimes you have to take the risk and put yourself out there. It's really scary to be real and then not receive realness in return. And that has really shaken me at times. I want to know and be known, right? These are like core desires that we have as people. It's really hard then to kind of put what feels like a real self out there And now if that person doesn't respond well, like now it's not just that they rejected a facade and they didn't just reject a persona that I created, they rejected me. And so there's a lot of opportunity, I I guess, to be hurt. But that's why I always come back to if a Christian community is made up of people who are defined in Christ, I'm not necessarily looking to community to define me. I'm not looking to community to save me. I'm looking to community as a space where I just experience more of Jesus. Yes, this kind of community we're talking about, we call it messy, right? That is always broken people together being broken. But at the same time, if we're like all driven by this innate desire to like be one with the Lord and have my identity in Christ, then actually like we have, like we're empowered to love well. And I think there's actually so much freedom in that, that like now there's this safety Right? Because if, if they're committed to loving me the way I am, and I'm committed to loving them the way they are, then there's, there isn't a fear, right? We can come to one another confidently and, and with this idea that like this community as a whole is hidden in Christ. And you know what? Even for those times that the messiness really does come through and we fail each other because we will, we're still secure in Christ. Every time we reconcile, We're declaring this victory in Christ when we love well in spite of these these weaknesses and our brokenness. And that is like the gospel in action. And I think that's just it. You just kind of, you speak truth to one another and you act accordingly. If this person's been forgiven by Christ, then I should forgive them too. When we think about Jesus, so much of what he did for us is a sacrificial love. He did that for everyone. And when we look at scripture, it's just clear that like he just like busted open the doors and said, everyone is welcome here. And so I think if Jesus did that, <laughs> maybe, maybe it sets this precedent that I should too. There's like a dignity in every person because they were created by God. If Jesus died for everyone, no matter their life experience, no matter where they've been and, and who they are even now, every person's story, every person's time. Like, I want to know it. I want to be a part of it. Like, that to me is part of why community is so important to be a part of. I feel like I have this core question of just, am I loved, right? Or am I lovable? That's like way worse, right? Like, am I worth someone loving? And I was realizing that a lot of times in my relationships, I was asking that question instead of coming into the conversation knowing I'm loved. Like the Bible tells me that, Jesus has told me that. And so out of that safety, out of that rootedness, like I am a person who's loved. I can come and be real with you and honest with you and love freely, right? Because I already have my safekeeping. I feel free to love because I know that I'm already loved. And so I'm not asking questions like that. I'm not making people into a God in my life to tell me if I'm loved. And instead I can then just go and be with them and If I'm rejected, like, yeah, that totally hurts. 
but it doesn't have to wreck me and it doesn't have to shake me or my faith.